All right. Well, glad that you're here with us today. And we're looking forward to being able to worship the Lord together in spirit and in truth. And I'm thankful that you've chosen to join with us today. Thank you if you're joining us online as well. We're glad to have you with us here today. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We need God's help for everything that's done today. And we want to give God glory with all that we say and all that we do as we praise Him together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you that we can come together and worship you. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are far above in your power and in your knowledge of anything and everything that's going on in this world. But Lord, even though you have all power and have all knowledge, you love us. And you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin. Lord, you care about each person on this earth. And we thank you for that. And we pray that even today as we worship you together, that people would hear of you and would be encouraged and challenged to walk with you and to trust in you and to know you as their personal Savior. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people who are gathered here together, not just as individuals, but as a body, as a family, together to worship you. Lord, I pray for those who are away traveling right now, those who are home, who are unable to be with us in person. Lord, encourage each one. May you give us the spiritual food that we need. May your Holy Spirit be in us and working through us today to make us more like Jesus Christ. And may we go from here changed by the power of your word and the encouragement of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I was reading this week in my Bible time, Bible reading, and read Psalm 17, and so I'm going to have James read that to you this morning. And I want you to really notice this passage of Scripture. The final verse is very encouraging and very challenging, but it's about where we find our encouragement and our peace and our identity. There's a lot in this world that can be discouraging, a lot that can cause us to wonder and be concerned, but our hope is found in the Lord. Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians. We are planning to finish this book together this morning. We've been studying through this book since the beginning of the year, and I have enjoyed greatly our time in God's Word as we have studied the book of Colossians. I, I say that, and then in my heart I know that, truthfully, there is no portion of Scripture that you can turn to and not get a blessing from God's Word. It's all God's Word, and it's all a blessing, and it's all a help to us. I'm thankful that it all means something for us even today here where we live. I don't know about you, I've uh, been less concerned during the last few months with uh, sports on TV. You know, there hasn't been much to watch. Some people are really missing their sports. Some people are concerned about that. Uh, I was talking with the folks in the early service and we had a lot of soccer fans. They're encouraged that soccer is still on TV. And I said, but in the second service, I don't know if many of them are going to be concerned about soccer or, or football, as, as some call it. It's probably actually most of the world calls it. We just call it soccer here in America. And uh, there's not a whole lot when it comes to sports. But I, I really enjoyed playing sports when I was growing up. I enjoyed my time playing on teams in various athletic events. The camaraderie was fun, the 
games were fun and winning is always fun and I enjoyed those kinds of things. Teamwork is wonderful to watch when you're watching a, a sport being played. It's really fun to experience when you're the one playing in the athletic event. It, nothing is more frustrating when you're standing there wide open, ready to catch the ball or ready to make the shot and your teammate won't pass you the ball. That is so frustrating. Or when you are set up and you think you're going to win the ball game only to see your teammate fail to guard his man and the guy who was left unguarded goes down and scores the winning point for the other team. Or, you know, seeing, I remember even a couple times when I was really little playing sports, having someone on our team score for the other team. Oh, how frustrating is that? Everybody loves the junior high basketball game where the boy catches the ball on the rebound, he turns around, forgets where he is, and puts the shot back, only to realize he scored for the other team. Teamwork is important in sports. But teamwork is not important in sports just because that's practically how things work. Teamwork works because God designed us to work together. You know, the church, the Bible describes the church as the body of Christ. It's a body. If you think about it, when your body is not functioning together like a good team, <laughs> it can be painful, can't it? Any of you wanted to get up in the morning and your back said no? I've had that experience. Yeah, you say, I'm going to get out of bed, and then instead you find yourself rolling out on the floor and crawling because you go, I have other things I need to take care of right now, and even if the back isn't working, I still got to get out and take care of business right now. When your body doesn't function right, the team isn't functioning right, there's pain, there's difficulty. But when a team is working together, it's one of the most beautiful things that you can see. And here at the end of the book of Colossians, at the end of chapter 4, Paul is writing and he's finishing up his letter that he's written to this church. And he mentions a whole bunch of people who were part of his ministry team. And I want us to look through this. It's a little bit different kind of message this morning. But I want us to look through these names and look through the descriptions that Paul includes with these names because I think there's some great things we can learn about ministering together as a team. And we'll see that this team was effective because they worked together. We'll see that this team was effective because they realized that the ministry was bigger than any one of them. Even as you read through this letter, the book of Colossians, which was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, we know that Paul was writing this letter from a prison cell. Now, it kind of seems backwards. I mean, shouldn't it be the church writing letters to Paul in prison? But Paul is writing to encourage the church, and he's the one in prison. And yet, this ministry goes forward because even Paul the apostle himself understood that Ministry was bigger than him. And he had trained and he had discipled other men to go on and carry on the ministry even though he's locked in prison. Now he's writing down what God tells him to write. But these other men are the ones coming along who are taking the letter, who are encouraging the church, who are bringing back the reports to Paul. And I believe there's a great example to be followed here in these verses that I think we need to continue to strive to emulate he, even here in our church. As God has brought wonderful men and women together to be part of this body, the body that is the local church at Arise Baptist Church. We know we're not the only church in the world. 
But this is a body that God is putting together and has put together that has a specific purpose. And this body functions best when it works together as a team. Paul's ministry team is an example for successful and, I believe, sustainable ministry that should be emulated as we endeavor to fulfill the Great Commission. Ministry by yourself is lonely. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Ministry by yourself can even be depressing. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a prophet by the name of Elijah. I liked him so much, we named one of our sons after him. But Elijah was a man that while he had great spiritual victories and highs, he also had some very deep spiritual lows. In fact, he came to the place in his life where he thought, or at least he felt, that he was the only one left that was still trying to serve God. He got discouraged. He was threatened. His life was threatened by Queen Jezebel. And he goes off into the wilderness and he lays down and he's ready to die. He's discouraged because he feels alone. So God comes to him and he ministers to him and he encourages him and he reminds Elijah. He said, I still have thousands who have not bowed their knee to Baal. There's great encouragement when we minister together as a team. Ministry is a team effort. And I want you to think this morning as we look through this passage of Scripture and ask God, God, what part can I play in this team? How can I be part of what you are doing in your work here in this world? Let's look together at verse number 7. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, this is not Jesus Christ, this is another man with the same name, and the Bible here uses his, his other name, Justice, so we know who it's talking about. Who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers, unto the kingdom of God which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you. See, Epaphras was from the area right around Colossae. He knew those people. He he cared a lot about them. He was from there. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. These are two other cities close by Colossae. By the way, when you read your Bible and study your Bible, it's a great thing to do it with a map. You learn so much about how these things all work together if you look at a a Bible atlas. Luke 
Verse 14, the beloved physician and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So there were two letters here. The church, letter to the church at Laodicea and the letter to the church at Colossae. And after they read their letters, they were supposed to trade. Because the truth in there was God's word and, and both of them needed to hear it. And then verse 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Paul writes this letter. He's in jail. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. Some commentators believe that he's writing this letter very near the end of his life. He didn't have a whole lot to say about himself here. Just remember my bonds. The rest was encouragement and challenge and really validation or commendation of the people that he worked with. Because Paul understood that his life or his time on this earth was short. But the ministry is bigger than you, it's bigger than me. Because it's not ours, it's God's. And it's God's plan for His work to go forward. And God does His work as people are faithful to fulfill the great commission of making disciples who make disciples. Who share the gospel so that people hear and trust Christ and get saved. I'm so thankful for people that have been saved. Even here in our church. And I'm thankful for people that are learning and growing in their faith and sharing it wherever they go. Because the ministry is bigger than me. The ministry of Arise Baptist Church is not me. It's the Lord's. And if I try to make it mine, I will kill it. Because I'm not big enough or strong enough or tough enough, and I definitely won't live long enough to do all the work that's needed here. This ministry is God's ministry. And it's accomplished when God's people, through the Holy Spirit of God, fulfill the work of God to the glory of God. That's what we're going to see here in this passage as these people come together, ministering together as a team. One of the things I want you to notice, first of all, is that ministry happens with people that love one another. Over and over in this passage of Scripture, Paul talks about his love for them and their love for him. These were men who had great love one for another. Notice, first of all, in verse 7, he speaks about Tychicus. He says he was a beloved brother. When you're ministering in a team, you want to minister with people that you love. He talks about Tychicus being a beloved brother. He speaks of even Onesimus as a beloved brother. Now, Tychicus was a man that Paul met probably in Ephesus when he was in Asia uh, preaching the gospel there. And then Tychicus came and became a follower of, of the Lord and he began to work with Paul. 
You read about him over in the book of Acts. If you want more information on these guys, a lot of them can be found in some of the other epistles as well as in the book of Acts. And I would encourage you on your own time, please not this morning while you're sitting here, but take a concordance, take something, a computer, search these names out. It's amazing to see all that God did with some of these men as they served God together. But Tychicus, he's met, he was met in one of those places as Paul's preaching the gospel. Onesimus, Paul met him when he was in prison. But Onesimus wasn't in prison for preaching the gospel. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Paul called this runaway slave his beloved brother. What made the difference? Jesus did. In Christ, we're brothers and sisters. We have fellowship because of the Lord. They had great love for another one another. Paul speaks about John Mark and Aristarchus, and he says, these are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God. Do you remember who John Mark was? Well, here it describes his relationship with Barnabas. John Mark was, John was Barnabas's nephew. He was sister's son to Barnabas. Barnabas is a very interesting character in the New Testament, and God used him in tremendous ways. To see the church go forward and see the gospel spread. It was Barnabas that they sent to Antioch. When, when the gospel went there and, and, and these Gentiles started coming to the Lord and there was this revival breaking out, people were getting saved and it was getting exciting. And, and they sent Barnabas to make sure that they were teaching good doctrine and they actually knew what was right and what was wrong. But isn't it interesting that the believers were first called Christians in Antioch? Isn't it interesting that the first missionary team was sent out of the church in Antioch? And while we don't have any record that Antioch was ever this huge church, really the mega church of the day was the church in Jerusalem, you see this church where God was at work and people were on fire for Him because they were serving one another and serving the Lord. It was the church at Antioch. That's where it was really going on. That's where it was exciting. Barnabas goes to Antioch and he helps this church get started. He brings Paul along with him and begins to train Paul and help Paul to get going in the ministry. And then when the church at Antioch sends out missionaries, it's Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas says, I want to bring John Mark with me. John Mark was a very young man at this point. He travels with Paul and Barnabas and at some point along that journey, he comes to a place, he says, I, I can't do this anymore and he goes home. It, probably didn't like going to jail that much. He, he probably didn't like facing threats against his life and beatings and all those things. It was difficult to serve the Lord with the Apostle Paul. Paul naturally is frustrated with John Mark. And later, when Barnabas says, let's bring John Mark with us again, Paul says no, and he takes Silas. And Barnabas takes John Mark and goes on another journey. But later on, Paul then says, bring John Mark, he's profitable for me. And that's who he's talking about here. See, God uses people even when they fail sometimes. God uses people even if they used to be slaves. God uses people even if they came from some place that nobody really even knew about where they came from, like Tychicus. But ministry happens when people love one another. All these people had great love, one for another, and for the work that God 
was doing. Oh, and then he mentions Luke. Verse 14, he calls him the beloved physician, and even Demas. Now, we know Demas because Demas is the one who later on forsook Paul, having loved this present world. So it is true that everybody that comes, that everybody that's part of that team, doesn't always remain faithful and go on faithful for the Lord. But that doesn't stop the ministry of God, does it? I'm so thankful that God's ministry is not dependent upon you and upon me. Because how often do we fail? How often do we fall? How often do we get discouraged? But Demas was still part of this team at this point. Luke, the beloved physician. Here is Luke. The one who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. He, he's a follower of Christ. I mean, if anybody should have been running this program, and he's a doctor, should have been Luke, right? No, but Luke understood God had a specific plan for Paul. God had a specific plan for Barnabas, and God had a specific plan for Luke. And it wasn't Luke's job to lead the team. It was Luke's job at this point to be a, a, a helper, a follower, and a servant. He was a beloved physician. We see a testimony here, not of men who came from the same background, not of men who had the same financial status, but rather of men who loved God enough that they were able to love one another and serve together. And it is my hope and it is my prayer that we can love, love God enough to be able to love one another. We're not all the most lovely or lovable people. I understand that. But I'm thankful that God loved us enough that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin, to forgive us. That no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is or your educational level, your financial status, God loves you. And because God loves you, I can love you too. And we ought to love one another because ministry happens when people love one another. Well, how can you show this love? See, this love wasn't just something they spoke with their lips. It was something they lived with their life. They were willing to go. They were willing to give. They were willing, even Epaphras, we see in verse 12, willing to pray. What has your love motivated you to do? How are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Not just giving lip service to it, but demonstrating it with your life. These were men, some of them even willing to be locked up in prison with Paul. Why? Because they loved God enough to be able to love Paul and be able to minister to him even in prison. I hope that we'll not only have love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll have love for those who are lost and without Christ. These men loved the lost enough to be willing to give and to go and to spend and to be spent, to go wherever God sent them, to get the gospel to those that needed to hear. Did all respond well? No. Did the government appreciate what they're doing? No. They locked them up over and over again. Did the religious leaders of the day get behind them? No. But God's work went on. Ministry happens in a team where people love one another. We see this example even with Onesimus. Paul demonstrated his love for Onesimus. You read about it in the book of Philemon. As Paul writes a letter to Philemon who was 
Onesimus' owner and says, don't take him back as a slave, take him back as a brother. And oh, by the way, if Onesimus has wronged you in any way, if he's stolen anything from you, if he's taken anything that wasn't his, I will repay it myself. And that's Paul locked in prison. That's love. Why would he do that? Because Onesimus was just the greatest guy that ever lived. No, it's because Paul loved God and his love for God motivated him to love people and to help people to walk with the Lord. Ministry happens when people love one another. Ministry happens with people that serve one another. Oh, we see this example of service and service comes right out of love, doesn't it? True service does. Yes, I know, you can force somebody to serve you, you can pay somebody to serve you, but the best kind of service is service that is motivated by love. Tychicus, again, he's, he's mentioned as a faithful minister and fellow servant. Verse number 7. John Mark, he's a fellow worker under the kingdom of God. He came to see them and to comfort their hearts. Tychicus did. Verse 12, I already mentioned this, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Epaphras, he cared so much for them that he labored fervently for them in prayers. Verse 13, it says he has great zeal for them. And then you read about Nymphus. You don't want to skip over poor little Nymphus down there. He has the house that the people are meeting inside of, the church. In Laodicea, they meet at Nymphus's house. Now in Houston, we'd think, to me, I read that, I think Nymphas and I think fajitas. But he's not talking about the guy that makes fajitas at Nymphas. He's talking about Nymphas. They probably had some good Greek food or something. I don't know. But here's a man who clearly had enough wealth or had a big enough house through inheritance or through something that he earned on his own that he's hosting the church in his house. And, God says, and Paul says to him, send him my greeting. These are people that were willing to serve one another. Ministry is people. Ministry is serving God as we serve people. Service is hard work, and sometimes it goes unnoticed. I mean, we wouldn't know anything about Nymphus if Paul hadn't mentioned him here in this letter. He would have lived, and he would have died, and the history books would have failed to record him. And yet, he had a very important place in the history of the church, didn't he? Because he provided a place for them to meet and worship God together. When we're focused on ministry so that we can get a name for ourselves, instead of focused on ministering so that we can serve others and serve God, we totally miss the point. Because if we live and we die and people forget who we are and don't remember that, that's okay as long as we were faithful to carry on the work that God has given us to serve others, to make disciples, to win the lost to Christ and to share the gospel. Let's not spend so much time trying to make a name for me and I and myself. Let's spend our time making a name for Jesus and lifting Him up. Because the Bible is very clear. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Oh, how we have hurt and detracted from 
the work of God because we've made it about ourselves and not about the Lord. These men, these people were willing to serve one another as they served the Lord. I love Epaphras' service in prayer. It says here, he always laboring fervently for you in prayer. Three really powerful words, always. I, I mean, can any of you say, this is something I always pray for? That's pretty hard to say, isn't it? Now, I hope that you have some things. You say, this is something I always, I'm praying for this every single day. This is what Epaphras could say about this church. He said, I'm always praying for you. Wouldn't that be a blessing to have somebody come to you and say, I'm always praying for you? And, and if you actually knew that they meant it. I've had some people in my life who have told me that, and I know that they mean it, and that is such an encouragement to my heart. One of the first people I remember doing this for me as an adult, I'm sure this happened when I was a child, but as an adult, one of the first people I remember doing this in a very memorable way for me was a man in our church, and I was training for the ministry, and he was one of the leaders in the church. He was one of the pastors there, one of the assistants. And he came to me and he said, Will, I want you to know I, I pray for you all the time, regularly, faithfully. And I said, thank you. And about a month later, he came to me and he said, I just want you to know I'm always praying for you. I said, thank you. And he came back to me several more times. I'm always praying for you. About a year later, he gave me this three-by-five card. And on the three-by-five card, he had written, it was in from his, he kept a whole box of three-by-five cards. And this was his prayer journal. And as he would pray for something or someone, he would write the date and the time that he prayed for him. And he handed me this card, and it's full of dates of when he prayed for me. What a blessing. What a blessing. I was reading this book this week, a biography of Edgar Fagali. He's one of our missionaries that's going to be with us in August. And if you in any way can be here to hear him, you want to be here for that August 23rd. He grew up in Lebanon uh, before the Civil War, and then when the Civil War broke out, continued to minister there, later uh, came over here to the States for a few years, met his wife, got married, went to school, then went back to Lebanon to start a church in the middle of the Civil War. God is blessed. That church continues on, and many other churches now as a result of that. But he tells a story of one night as he was driving home. He'd been late. He'd been out visiting, sharing the gospel, and it got late. Going door knocking during a civil war. Imagine that. And it got late. He was on the wrong side of town, and he was telling somebody about Jesus, and, and, the, and it started to get late, and he goes, i got to get home. And he gets in his car, and he starts to drive, and he hears a bullet zip by his head. And he realized, i got to turn my headlights off. So he turned his headlights on. There was a sniper several blocks away who could see his headlights and was firing at him. And so he managed to get out of that, and he's driving with his headlights off and trying to navigate through these streets with stuff bombed out and things around him. And he said, and I'm going down the other, this next street, and I hear this big rumble and noise and kind of see this shape. And I turn my headlights back on, and here comes a tank rolling down the road right at me. He said, and I realized, okay. And I had to turn and got off that road and the other place, and he finally makes it home. He said, God protected me that night. And I know you hear these stories sometimes. You say, well, that, I hear that stuff, but that would never happen to me. 
God can do those kinds of things. I believe He can. He was telling that story a couple years later. And a lady came up to him at the church that he was preaching at and said, When did that happen? And he told her the date. And she said, That night at that time, God laid on my heart to pray for somebody named Fagali. She said, I didn't even know who that was. Just God laid that name on my heart. I began to pray for him fervently that night. She went to her pastor and she said, What's Fagali? He said, I don't know. Then he heard of this missionary, Edgar Fagali, preaching at another church across town. And he saw that and he said, well, maybe this same one. So they went over there to hear him. She came up to him that night and said, I was praying for you on this date these years ago. And he said, that's the same night that the sniper fired on me, the same night that I faced the tank in the road. And he said, I'm so thankful that God uses his people all around the world to pray for one another. Oh, we need the prayers of the saints. Epaphras, he always prayed and he labored in his prayer. It was hard work praying. And he did it fervently, with great energy, with great passion. We even see in verse 13, he had great zeal. What were his prayers about? It was that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He was praying for their spiritual growth and for their change to be like Christ so that they would continue on, even in the face of difficulty, to share the good news that Jesus saves and to go out and to make disciples. Epaphras prayed fervently for these people. Prayer is long-distance service. You might not be able to go out and fix something with your hands. But you can pray for somebody who you can't even go and talk to at times, and God can make the difference. I don't know about you, but I like to be able to fix things. When some come, someone comes to me and says, I've got a problem, I say, well, here's your answer. Let's fix it. I've had to learn. I can't fix all the problems. And maybe that's what you need to learn today as well. You can't fix it, but God can. Pray fervently. We need your prayers. Nothing gets done for God if we're not faithful in praying for God to do His work. Oh, I think we have neglected this area of praying for one another. I know we try, maybe. Maybe we pray from time to time. But I do feel like we have missed out on seeing what it would be like to have a church full of people praying fervently for God to do His work of saving souls and, and turning sinners to Christ and restoring marriages and bringing children back to home and mom and dad and, and changing hearts. Prayer brings the power of God on situations that are beyond your control. Oh, what a blessing that Epaphras prayed fervently for these people. Ministry happens when people love one another. Ministry happens when people serve one another. Ministry happens as people suffer together. You say, suffering, that's not the part I want. It's not the part any of us wants. He speaks of Aristarchus in verse 10. He says, he's my fellow prisoner. He's locked in here with me. Now, some scholars would say that 
Paul was the one that, that he was locked up and they would allow other people to be locked up with him for periods of time to provide company, to bring food, to provide medical assistance, whatever he needed. Wouldn't you love it if that was your job? Some of you know some of what that's kind of like. Have you ever been with somebody who's in a hospital, very sick, and it's your job to go visit them every day? It's your job to go spend the night with them? That's not glamorous work, is it? It doesn't always smell good. It doesn't always feel good. It's hard to sleep. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. And that's just a hospital. This was a Roman prison. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. What a blessing for the Apostle Paul to have a ministry team that would say, Paul, we know you're in prison. We're not just going to pray for you, even though we'll do that. We're not just going to send you money and food, even though we'll do that. Some of us are going to come and get locked in there with you to encourage you. What a blessing. This is a body that ministers one to another. He even speaks of others. Verse into verse 11. He says, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. They were a comfort in Paul's suffering. You know, for the believer, suffering, while it's something we may not enjoy, it's something we should not be surprised by. Rather, it's something we should expect. Did you know suffering is something God has promised to believers who are faithful to Him? It's hard to say this, but if we're not suffering for the Lord, then perhaps we're not really living for the Lord as we should. Say, why do you say that? Well, Philippians 1.29 says this, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. If there's no difficulty in the Christian life, maybe you're not really in the battle for Christ. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This is not what we like to think about as Americans. And yet, this is the reality for believers, and it has been the reality that most believers around the world have lived through throughout most of history. While God has given us some unique freedoms that I'm so thankful for and we should enjoy, we should never take those for granted and then feel like somehow we're owed these things and that if we don't have these things, we can't serve the Lord. Whether you're a missionary serving God in the middle of a civil war or a Christian serving God here in the United States of America in 2020, we ought to be willing to suffer for the Lord. You say, why would we do that? Well, this is a whole other topic for another time. But the Bible teaches us that when we suffer for the Lord, we are actually um, brought into closer fellowship and relationship with God. 
Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Wow, the fellowship of His sufferings. To be honest, as I read Brother Fagali's biography this week, kind of felt like a wimp. The things I've struggled with, the things I've been frustrated about, the things I'm, that make me get upset about what's going on in our society are nothing compared to what many believers have gone through for the sake of the gospel. We don't even have a clue. Now, some of you know, some of you have had some experiences in your life. Some of you have been through some extremely difficult things. But as believers, it shouldn't surprise us if we go through much more difficult things before the Lord comes back. Our society has not responded well during these times. People are really upset about a lot of problems in our culture. But the sad thing is the problems that they're focused on are only symptoms of a much greater problem. The much greater problem is sin. So the only answer, the real answer, is the gospel. Paul was thankful for those who were willing to suffer alongside of him for the cause of Christ. May we be ready and willing to suffer if that's what it takes to be able to fulfill what God has commanded us to do. We don't see these men looking for opportunities to, serve, to suffer, but rather as they go forward in service to the Lord, sometimes service requires suffering. And I'm willing to do it because I serve the Lord Christ. Ministry happens when people love one another. It happens when people serve one another. It happens when people suffer together. But it also happens, finally this morning, we'll see that ministry happens when people have a singular focus. This ministry team functioned well because they had great love for one another. It functioned well together, not only to minister to the Apostle Paul and his needs, but to all of these churches all over that they had started because they were willing to serve one another and to serve those churches. They were willing to spend and be spent. They were willing to give of their time and their finances and their effort to minister to other people. This ministry team functioned well because they were even willing to go through hard, difficult times of suffering together. But what kept them on track was their singular focus on the Lord. We can be really excited about our team, but if our team doesn't have the right focus, we have a great team that doesn't accomplish anything of value. You could have the greatest sports team in the world, and yet if you never focus on getting out there and winning the game, you never win a trophy and you never experience what it's like to win. It's great to be on a great team. But if you're on a team that never wins, maybe it's not much of a team. And I, I dare say that sometimes in our churches, we love the team, but we've lost the focus on where God wants us to be. It's wonderful to have close human relationships and friendships with one another. And we all, we all do this. This is not... Me speaking down to you, this is me saying, this is all of us in this together. We always are looking for ways to make our lives more comfortable. It's how we're wired. It's how we live. 
If I can find something to make my life a little easier, my schedule a little less busy, to put a little more money in my pocket, to you know, eat at a nicer restaurant, to drive a nicer car, to live in a bigger house, to enjoy more vacation time, to whatever it is, to get a nicer cell phone, we're always trending towards what makes us comfortable. And comfort is not wrong. Our desire for comfort can sometimes distract us from the focus where God wants us to live as believers. Some of the things over the last few months have reminded us that this world isn't all that comfortable anymore. And it may continue to get less comfortable. So what kept these men focused was not the fact that the Romans were always chasing them, or that the Pharisees were always trying to persecute them, or that they had all kinds of wicked things, even from Satan and all of his demons coming after them with some of the things that they faced as they preached the gospel. What kept them motivated was their focus on the Lord. Notice in verse 11. He says, these, the middle of the verse, These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God. What were they working for? The kingdom of God. Not for Paul's kingdom, not for their kingdom. They were working for God's kingdom. How about verse 12? Epaphras is praying that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He wasn't just praying for their comfort. He wasn't just praying for their safety. He wasn't just praying for them to have a good day. He was praying that they would be complete in the will of God, that they would have everything God wanted them to have and they would be faithful to God's command for their life. They had a focus on the Lord in everything that they did. And then in verse 17, we read about Archippus. Here's this challenge that Paul gives. He, he, he says to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Archippus, do what God has given for you to do. What has God given you to do? He says, fulfill it. Do it. Why? Because everything that you have, every ministry that you have, it's a, if it's a real ministry, it's not just a made-up ministry, something that you do just because it's fun, something you do just because it's what you like to do, but if it's a real ministry that has real impact, it's because God gave it to you. And God has a purpose for your life in it. So fulfill it for the glory of God. And Paul finally, as he wraps up this letter in the last verse of the chapter, he reminds these people of two things. First of all, he says, remember my bonds. Paul's still a human being. He's not super Paul. He didn't have a cape or a mask. He was just a man, just like you and me. He's a human being. And he was locked in prison. He said, please remember that I'm locked up in here, that I'm in bonds. Pray for me. Please send some gifts, help me. I mean, these are all the things he's saying in this. Remember me in my bonds. And then he says, grace be with you. See, what God has called us to do, this ministry, it's bigger than any one of us. It's even bigger than we collectively can do just in our own strength. We can't love as we ought. We can't serve as we should. We definitely don't want to suffer. 
and keeping our focus, boy, we're distracted. We're like squirrels. We're just looking all over the place all the time. That's why we need God's grace to give us the strength to get through. Because some of you may, like John Mark, find that it gets too difficult and walk away. But God still gives grace to bring you back if you'll come back to Him. Some of you, like Demas, may just be, I'm ready to give it all up. This world is more pleasing. And Satan is really good at making this world seem very pleasant and pleasing. If you'll just, like he said to Jesus, if you just bow the knee, I'll give you all these things that you can see. That same temptation's in front of us all the time, isn't it? Just serve me. Don't serve God. I'll give you all these things. Paul says, grace be with you. Grace be with you. We need God's grace. My prayer for our church, my prayer for each of you as an individual, would be that we would be submitted to God with our focus on Him in everything that we do. We're weak. Boy, these last few months have highlighted that, haven't they? We don't have the answers, but we do have the Lord. And He gives us everything we need to know in His Word. So how do we go from here? It's faithful day by day, step by step obedience, keeping our eyes on Him as we read His Word, as we study, as we meditate upon it. The psalmist said it well in Psalm 119, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Meditate and focus as you memorize and read God's word. Spend time in prayer. There's so much in this world to keep you busy. And it's not all bad stuff. But anything that distracts you from the focus of pleasing God ultimately is not what God wants you to spend your time doing. Be willing to push aside those other distractions and those other things and say, God, I want you first and foremost more than anything else. God, I still got to feed my family. So did Epaphras. So did Aristarchus. So did Ar all these guys did too. God, I still need to have a, have a place to sleep. I still got to take care of my bills. God's not saying that you can't have those things. The missionary in his book wrote that when he first brought his wife over to Lebanon, she had never been there. He'd met her here in the States, told her, God's called me to go back to Lebanon as a missionary. And she said, okay, well, if God's called you to do that, I want to, marry, I want to go there with you. Lebanon's in the middle of this civil war. They couldn't fly into Beirut because the airport was closed. So they had to take a boat, I think it was from Cyprus, to get there. And as they're sailing up, getting close to where they could start to see things on the beach and, and then on the hills behind the beach, his wife exclaimed, she said, Honey, look, there's houses. And he laughed, kind of looked at her like, Yeah, of course there's houses. She goes, All I've seen is Lebanon on the news with the Civil War and the bombs and everything going off. I just assumed everything was bombed out. She said, I was ready. I was assuming we were going to live in a tent in the midst of the rubble. Now we laugh about her perspective, and you realize too, sometimes our perspective, we only see what is on the TV screen instead of really 
looking at what God is doing. And he said in his book, he said, it really made me glad that she was willing to come with me to Lebanon to serve, thinking at the time she was going to have to live in a tent. And serving God may mean you live in a tent sometimes, but generally speaking, that's not what God has his people doing. And she talks about even in Lebanon, they had a house. They had water. They had food. They even had grocery stores. God still takes care of our daily needs. God still takes care of our food and our clothes and all those things. And it's okay to work and to take care of those needs that you have. But don't act like serving God means, oh, I'm going to have to live in a tent in burned out rubble. And so it's like, I can't serve God because that's all it is. No, serve God faithfully day by day. And if that's where God puts you, God will provide for you there. But God may just as well put you in a house somewhere in a place of comfort and taking care of you that way as well. But either way, the focus has to be on the Lord, not on me, not on getting stuff, not on making myself more comfortable because that's how I'm going to survive. Giving God everything that we have. May we do that in service to Him. Will you do that with me? That's my desire. That's my heart for our church. It's my heart for you. Not for my glory, for His. Boy, there's a world out there that needs Jesus. I mean, if you can't see that, then your eyes are blind and you need to take the blinders off. People everywhere are hungry for the truth. People are angry because of sin and wickedness, but they don't know how to deal with it. Lashing out doesn't fix anything. Only Jesus can change their heart. May we take that message. May we minister as a team, unified in love and in service, even in suffering, with a singular focus on our Savior to follow Him wherever He wants us to go. Father, we love you and we thank you for this example of Paul and these other people who were gathered around him serving, some close, some far away, but all with the focus on serving you. Lord, we love you and I thank you for our church and for the many blessings that you've given us and how you've provided in wonderful ways. Lord, we continue to go forward day by day. We're not, we know we're not perfect, but we're doing our best to be focused on serving you. Lord, help us, give us wisdom. And I pray that each person here this morning would commit themselves to faithful service to you, to love one another as they should, and to walk in humility, lifting you up and sharing the gospel wherever they go. Pray that you'd work in our hearts now during this time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name I pray.